Welcome to the Nerd Degree. Welcome to the Nerd Degree. I'm your host tonight, Laura Borrowdale. I'm the editor of a new erotic fiction journal called Aotea Erotica. Um, and tonight we're recording another episode of the Nerd Degree as we do on the first Wednesday of each month here at Orange Studios. Tonight's episode is Prime Detectives and our panellist, panellists who are decidedly not clueless, will need to puzzle together the pieces of the show to arrive at the solution. So, now to introduce the panellists. Panellists... All iconic detectives have a character flaw that they need to overcome. Sherlock Holmes was addicted to cocaine, Hercule Poirot was a neat freak, and Inspector Gadget was hooked on pee. Could you please (laughs) (laughs) introduce yourselves and tell us what your flaw would be? And we're going to start on my right. Hello, uh, my name is Ben Allen. I am a multicellular organism, and... uh, (laughs) I think if I was a detective, my character flaw would be my relentless dedication to the truth. (laughs) (laughs) At all costs, like, even when it's going to cost me my job and my marriage and everything else, and they say, just drop this one, forget it, Ben, it's Chinatown. I'd be like, no! (laughs) I'm going to expose these mofos. So yeah. you're really good in job interviews, like, oh, my one flaw is that I just work so hard. So hard. (laughs) My name's Andrew, I'm an animator, and I think my flaw as a detective would be that I like villains too much. I, just, <laughs> I, I couldn't put them away, I couldn't stop what they're doing, they're just so interesting. And together, you are? Uh, we are mother deductors. Thank you very much. <laughs> and to my left? Uh, my name is Brendan Bennett, I'm a playwright, and um, in terms of flaws, I mean... Well, I mean, look at you. It's hard I mean, to, cocaine's hard to good, Neat Freak is good. Uh, oh, hay fever. Because <laughs> yeah, like, often, like, bodies are found in, um, like, fields. Often. Uh, yeah. All the time. Yeah, and, and then it'll be like, oh, I can't actually go and look at the body because I forgot my nasal spray. <laughs> there, were, yeah. there were cats living in that house I can't go in. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I can see so how that would be, inhibit you. Yeah. Uh, I am Andrew Todd. I'm a writer and a filmmaker. Um, And my fatal flaw as a detective would probably be my actual fatal flaw, which is that I am unable to pass up any opportunity to pet an animal. Um, If I'm chasing down a a villain, then um, and there's like a a cute like cat on the side of the road, I'm just going to stop and pet it. Uh, We could not team up. Of course, a lot of villains like have animals of their own, and I. I'd just be suckered in. I'd become part of the plot, probably. Right, and together, if you you know were to form a detective duo, that would be highly dysfunctional due to the cat problem. We would be <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> He's Sir Arthur. I'm Conan the Barbarian. Right. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So our first round is nerd quotient, um, in which I'm going to be asking some. I hope reasonably obscure things about detectives um, and our panellists will be attempting to answer them. So my first question, actually, I get to say something I've never said before in my life, so I'm going to say it now. Could the teams please roll for initiative? Okay. You go. 14. 11. God damn it. So, Mother Deductors, the first question is to you. Where in the world was Carmen Sandiego? She was always just where I got to, but she had just left. <laughs> she had always just left. It was a landlocked nation, I know that much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And its flag had blue in it. <laughs> yeah. The well, staple was, crop was the potato. She was everywhere in the end, though. She was, uh, she was in the games, and then she was on television as well, mm-hmm. and then there was a whole uh, uh, probably series of novels. <laughs> like, I'm just making that up, possibly. But she was in a she, lot of mediums. She definitely was on television. Yeah. Do you remember the name? of that show uh, was it was it? slightly different it had a where twist. in the world is Carmen Sandiego no it was not Carmen Sandiego is on television no <laughs> let, me, let me help you out here it was where in time is Carmen Sandiego where in time mm. Mm. and it was the only thing that had a, um, a live action version of Carmen Sandiego so um, what we're thinking about when we talk about Carmen Sandiego here is the actress who played Carmen Sandiego oh wait Sandiego. is it a true question was she in Sandiego no. Are we talking about like luck that like or like good deeds that come around? So we're talking about karma in San Diego. No, we're not at all. We are trying to. We are... Yeah, it's probably like at a like, at a charity. It's or just something you know because like 
you know, in San Diego, that's just how society works. <laughs> it's just based on karma. Karma in San Diego. We're trying to fix the actual location of the actress who played Carmen San Diego. Did she go on to become famous, to be someone famous? Well, I, maybe. Really. She did go a place that a lot of actresses go, and now that Prison. I say that aloud. <laughs> <laughs> she wound up on Broadway. Oh. Uh, so that is where Carmen San Diego actually Who was. She? Was there a musical of Carmen San Diego? <laughs> no, no, just the actress. But um, in fact, she's married to somebody in the military, so she's now travelling the world. Uh, ironically, can I demonstrate how old I am? I played, <laughs> really? played quite a bit of Carmen San Diego on Apple IIe. Ooh. Mm. Can I demonstrate yeah. how old I am? Yes. I don't know what an Apple II is. <laughs> <laughs> it was all in green. Everything had been green. Oh, wow. My stepmother yeah. had an apple. Oh, there you go. Was it poisoned? Yes. It was the same. <laughs> were, you, were you living in a forest at the time? It was the same as the one that appeared in Seinfeld in the back of his apartment. So Product placement works. My, yeah, there we go. Okay, so question number two, and I am going to turn to Sir Arthur Conan the Barbarian for this mm. one. Um, imagine that somebody gave you a cake. And that cake smelt very strongly of bitter almonds. What does your spidey detective hay fever sense tell you is going on? Ooh. Uh, almonds? Well, first of all... Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's clearly gangrenous. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be flesh to be gangrenous. It's got arsenic in it, doesn't it? Isn't it? Almonds is no, like the, the no. odour of a particular um, poison. You, that you're onto it, but yeah. you haven't hit the um, poison yet. Uh, Strychnine. Cyanide? Mother deductors, it is cyanide. Um, I named the third poison. <laughs> Curse you! Cyanide is a commonly used poison in detective fiction. Why is that? Can Kills you... people. Good. <laughs> <laughs> there are other reasons. Andrew, do you want to? Do you want to help? Is it one of those over-the-counter poisons? <laughs> <laughs> if you think cyanide is right for you, ask your chemist. <laughs> You wouldn't actually need to ask your chemist. It's so over the county. Is it rat poison? Is it no? Like, is it in something? It is in something. Maybe fruit or something. It is. Apple Apple pips. Yes. So there are a number of foods that are readily available that have cyanide in them. So apple pips, um, peach and apricot stones, lima beans, apparently flaxseed, bamboo shoot, um, and cassava is another plant that also. So cyanide is a superfood. <laughs> if you like apple moderate picks. amounts. Yes. Well, what about apple cake? two E's? <laughs> ben, you're old enough uh, to know that question. Maybe in uh, Castle Wolfenstein, the moment. Like, <laughs> they actually probably do. They've yeah. got a lot of hazardous chemicals in them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the seventies. Like anything went. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of speaking of anything going, um, cassava is a plant that contains cyanide. Also, um, and interestingly, the reaction to cassava is more severe for people who have a latex rubber allergy. So, um, <laughs> my suggestion fruit. here, as the editor of Aotearoa, um, <laughs> is that if cyanide doesn't work, some ironically safe sex might work. But how are you going to get this person from a potential victim into um, <laughs> some other position? <laughs> are, you say, are you saying that cyanide is also an aphrodisiac? <laughs> cyanide is not an aphrodisiac, but something like a, associated a, a, with cyanide is. Is it like death? <laughs> You're you, you're like, I don't want to know that much about you. Right right right. Not right now. So the, the complete plan is, first oh. of all, you, you lay out a trail of cassava chips to the bedroom. And then they're yeah, like rose them, petals, yeah, you sprinkled them. them out. Yeah. Does, does, does cyanide make you asphyxiate? Because that's definitely something that people are into sometimes. Yeah, that's more than we need to know I've about heard. Do you, does anybody know what the, um, the antidote to cyanide is? Because this is Six. the key. No. You have to pee on it. Semen. I don't know what like I need to know about It's like jellyfish. You have to pee on it to, if you get stung by the okay, cyanide. Okay, going to stop talking now. Does anybody else want to chime in with something else here? Anti-cyanide. <laughs> the antidote, the common antidote to cyanide is um, a drug called ammonitrate. Ammonitrate? Yes, which oh, is common. That's like roofies, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's commonly oh, no, known as no. it's commonly known as rush, and most that's of right. the, most of what I know about it comes from it's, a Vice article. It's, it's you go, isn't go, it you, used by people to like loosen their assholes. <laughs> 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 
No, and that's absolutely what it's for. Um, wow. I mean, we all know that. Brendan... This took a dark turn. And most of what I know about this drug comes from a God. Vice article that's called, Hey, straight people, you're using sex drugs wrong. So, um... <laughs> am- amyl nitrate does, um, help to, uh, relax involuntary muscle action. Yeah, it loosens so, their assholes. <laughs> not how I was going to put it, but thanks, thanks for that, Andrew. What everyone is thinking. <laughs> <laughs> is this how you imagine what this is going that, You told me off for saying dead, but what you wanted was loosens their assholes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry for ruining the tone of your episode, Laura. Okay, I'm going to regain my composure um, and move on to a different subject here. Uh, it is nearly New Zealand's Suffrage Day, which is September 19th, which was the day when Lord Glasgow signed in a new electoral act into law in New Zealand, um, allowing women to vote in parliamentary elections. Can you make some very, very loose and incredibly tenuous collection <laughs> between <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and our very own Kate Shepherd, who, of course, led that suffrage movement? Oh, a ding! Yes, Ben. <laughs> the 1800s. <laughs> oh, yes, Ben. That's all I got. That's all I got. Brendan. Bicycles. They both rode them. Yes, they did. Was she... What, he was a doctor in Scotland, and she... Sherlock Holmes was a doctor in Scotland? No. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes. And so was Kate Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> did Kate Shepherd have an assistant called Dr Watson? <laughs> no, it's, it's both more and less tenuous than your, <laughs> your guesses are going on. Alcohol. He liked it, she didn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, she, I don't think it connects them, though. I think it separates them. They both had an attitude to a thing, is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. The um, same birthday? No, no, it's, it's slightly Did different. Kate Let me explain. Did habitually wear a deerstalker? <laughs> so, um, Conan Doyle based Sherlock Holmes on, on two men, two of his professors at um, Edinburgh University, Joseph Bell and Robert Christensen. Robert Christensen was a preeminent Scottish toxicologist, uh, and he was famously anti-woman. He, um, he decided, he, he believed that women should become doctors, uh, midwives, not doctors, and suggested that nature intended women to be mothers and housekeepers, and they lacked the intellectual ability and stamina of men, which was uh, clearly something that, that Kate Shepherd was railing against. Um, but does anybody, based on that character, Robert, Robert Christensen, does anybody know what he did that undermined his own statement that um, women lacked the intellectual ability and stamina of men? No. It turned out, <laughs> it turned oh, out he was actually a woman in disguise. Yeah, it's just like a... Ah! <laughs> 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 um, did they have zips then? I, that's I, my, my flaw maybe, in that theory. It was okay, a, no, it was he did button, 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 button. button. <laughs> was it done? Give a lady's maid to undo the buttons for you. Yeah. But, um, he makes some sort of, like, uh, I don't know, biological discovery that actually there is no, like, difference in... in he just did really like stupid things, I think. And, and the, the most, stupid, the most <laughs> stupid thing he did was um, he became an expert on poisons by taking them himself um, in large quantities. <laughs> and then he um, had to take amyl nitrate. <laughs> and then he... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it up to yeah, that's imagination. Yeah, he was like, no, 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 it's because I took all these poisons. And then he was like, yes, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, okay, lowering the tone, I'll get it back on track, sorry, Brendan. Um, in the early years of detective fiction, many authors followed some quite explicit rules and codes when they wrote their detective fiction to enable the reader to have a sporting chance at solving the crime alongside the detective during the, the passage of the book. Uh, these rules were actually codified in 1929 um, and have been known as Knox's Ten Commandments. Can either team <clears throat> of panellists name any of those Ten Commandments? And we're thinking here, sorry Ben, we're thinking about that golden era of detective fiction. I was going to say the, bu- <laughs> the butler always did it. <laughs> it's not on the list. Uh. Mm. Uh, it must be so. The reader has to have access to all of the clues that the detective has to yes. solve the mystery. Yes, that's right. So, in fact, rule eight: the detective must is bound to declare any clues which he may discover. He can't conceal them oh, from and us. and we can work out from that: all detectives must be men. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, if we're thinking about that golden era of detective fiction, they weren't. 
Miss Marple. Miss Marple. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the detective must wear a hat. It's very important. <laughs> you can't be a detective without a hat. And I think Miss uh, Marple did wear a hat, actually. Yeah. The detective must gather everyone in the drawing room uh, so that you yeah. have a very clear idea of like the pool from which yeah. you can pick your... And then your, he has to say, your... I suppose you're wondering why I called you all here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Any, anything else? Andrew, do you want to... Chip in here. Uh, the detective always needs a foil or sidekick that goes around with him? Yes, they do. And, um, in fact, the sidekick of the detective, the Watson, if you will, must not conceal from the reader any thoughts that pass through his mind. And, in fact, his intelligence must be slightly, but only very slightly, below that of the average reader. Um, presumably <laughs> so the reader can feel clever in contrast. And why is it the sidekick? <laughs> like, why are they working with this? Like, why yeah. would you hire that person? The average, re- the average like, person, even the average reader is just going to be really... Also, it was really, really lazy of Conan Doyle. He's like, I've got to name my sidekick. I've got to name a name for the Watson. Why don't I call him Watson? <laughs> it is a great name, though. I have to say my dog is called Watson, and that's, that is, he's um, the best sidekick. Is your, is, your, is your dog slightly less intelligent than the average <laughs> he, is, he is very much less intelligent than the average dog, so he's <laughs> not doing well. I was going to say, Robert Rankin parodies those um, hard-boiled film noir type of mm-hmm. uh, detective stories. But you only ever need four locations, which is the detective's office, the bar where he goes to drink, an alley behind the bar where he goes to drink, <laughs> and the rooftop where you have the showdown with the villain. And just <laughs> shuffle between those four as necessary. Okay, well, let me let me give you some clues, um, and I'm just going to warn you: some of these are a little racist, and keeping with the oh times. Um, the, cr- the criminal must be mentioned in the early part of the story, but must not be anybody whose thoughts the reader can know. So, no first-person narrative, um, no supernatural or preternatural agencies. Super racist. <laughs> no more than one secret room or passage is allowed. <laughs> no, hitherto undiscovered poisons may be used. Um, no accident must ever help the detective or he cannot have hunches. Um, and here's where it gets racist. No Chinaman must feature in the story. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and twin brothers must not appear unless we have been duly prepared for them. <laughs> uh, so I will give bonus points. Um, I'll give bonus points, which my scorekeeper, who I have failed to mention, um, is... <laughs> Tallying, and I will introduce her in a moment. Um, if anybody can think of a piece of fiction that breaks any of those rules. Oh, yes. Um, so the one about the you can't know the thoughts of the murderer was famously broken in an Agatha Christie mm. novel, and I don't want to say the name of it because it would ruin the amazing twist at the end of it. <laughs> um, right, well, that's, that's the end of that story then. But it's the, okay, it's the murder of Roger Ackroyd. There you go. Um, the police story series... Uh, stars Jackie Chan, who is from China. <laughs> but he's, he's, like, he's, he's the detective in that, so that totally smashes that completely. Oh, the Shining has twins in it, and there's no warning! Yeah. <laughs> right, any, any, yep, so we've got two, one. Dear scorekeeper Erin, did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going back there? Well... I've been manning the phones at the agency, but Real Housewives is on, so I've been watching that. And I guess you could say that, uh, well, Mother Deductors are kind of on 17, but Sir Arthur Conan the Barbarian's on 19, so I guess they're in the lead. Okay, well, I've got one more question for them, so see how they got the end of that. Um, Okay, my last question for Nerd Quotient is what is the world's oldest cold case? What is the world's coldest? The Ice Age. Who caused it and why? (laughs) Generally, the phrase cold case is for an unsolved murder. Um, Yeah, it killed a lot of people. (laughs) And, and, like, species. Like, whole species went extinct. Who's behind it? murder, Andrew, not a genocide. But they did find there was a guy from about the... Bronze or Iron Age, wasn't it? And he was, he was, they found an, he'd been killed by an arrowhead or something Otzi, like that. Oh, see, the Iceman. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he was very well preserved. Um, and he died something like 3000 BC. We're talking way and older. And the police have just totally left it alone, I bet. <laughs> totally left it alone. The problem structurally is that the murderer hasn't been introduced into this story. <laughs> <laughs> and if we go back that far, maybe he's Chinese, so. 
Um, okay, it's it's much older than that. In fact, one of the oldest deaths that we know about of an individual. Oh, uh, uh, oh um. Uh, I was going to say Hugh Cameron, but he's probably not as old as the Ice Man guy. The no, we're talking even um, older. It would be like one of the early, early, um, like proto humans. Like, because there, there's someone like with a rock in their skull or something like that. Yeah, does the name Lucy ring a bell? Yeah, I said maybe? Lucy just before. Oh, did you? I'm yeah. sorry, Andrew, I didn't hear. Can you, mm. Do you want to explain why she's such a cold case? Um, no. <laughs> I, can, I can try. Uh, so Lucy is a very famous um, uh, example of uh, proto-human. Um, and it's remarkable that she's a cold case because, um, and it wasn't actually solved until recently, when um, uh, the murderer who had actually stolen her identity um, uh, appeared in a movie called Lucy uh, a couple years ago. Um, What's Scarlett, the one Scarlett Johansson, right. um, and she she finally outed herself. Um, yeah, it was only solved recently. It was only solved very recently, and through um, extensive study of Lucy and Lucy's fossil, uh, her skeleton, uh, they analysed the, the fractures in her body and discovered that she had fallen or been pushed out of a tree, um, mm. something like three million years ago. So a very old and cold case. There's not much more to go on at this point. Okay, Erin. Yeah. How's, that, how's that episode of Housewives going? No, it's done. It's done. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. And I've, there's like some messages about like a shady guy and like That'll fingerprints be... and stuff. But I just, yeah, I've just let the machine take them. So <laughs> uh, the Seraph are Conan the Barbarians on 19, but the mother deductors are doing all right. They're on 20, I think. Mm. Oh, great. Well, okay. We'll, we'll come back to that for a more definite answer later on. Um, this next round is called Bad for Your Elf, and in it, I am going to give um, a team a list of titles from some Agatha Christie novels. Agatha Christie wrote mm. a lot of novels, um, and they are also going to have a short blurb that accompanies the book. Um, what I'm going to ask them to do is to read the title and then read the blurb or um, to fictionalise the blurb, and the other team will have to guess whether that is the real plot or not of the story. Okay. Okay, so... Oh, God, those blurbs are really long. <laughs> you can make them really short. Or now you've oh, told so everybody no, they're really could, long. We could, but we could abbreviate them. Oh, yeah. Mm. And they could still be <laughs> Absolutely true. Yes. Okay. Yep, totally. So, um, let me pass this over. Brendan is an Agatha uh, Christie <clears throat> aficionado, so I, I am... I no friends as a child, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why don't we start with The Man in the Brown Suit, which happens to be the title number one on your list. Mm-hmm. Mm. Starting at title number one. I know. Hmm. All right, so in The Man in the Brown Suit, um, let me just read it off here. Um, (laughs) uh, So uh, there's a a young woman and she uh, sees a a man uh, fall onto train tracks and he's electrocuted by the train tracks. And um, then there's like a cryptic message. (laughs) That's the whole thing. Well, I'm not giving away yes, the ending. There's not even a man in a brown suit in that suit. It was that, the guy who fell on the tracks. Oh, now it, he does. It, does it, now suit. he's got a brown Which suit. smelt of mothballs. <laughs> <laughs> How does she know? She just sees him falling onto a tree. He smells like bacon after he falls onto the train tracks and is electrocuted to death. I'm not so, buying this, Andrew. I'm not buying yeah, it. Yeah, you make a good argument against I'm that I'm making a good argument. No, we don't believe that. Well, it's weird, because now you've mangled it slightly, so I don't know if it's well, true no, or false. No, that's, that's what it says so here. The, yes, the man in the brown suit is actually the man who comes along after the... Oh. The first man falls <laughs> onto the tracks, and the man in the brown suit um, comes along afterwards and examines him, and it is, in fact, the man who does the examining, who's wearing the brown suit, who leaves the cryptic message. So, you can't so worry. no, no, Brendan has inadvertently won. <laughs> 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 by, by accidentally mangling it. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> I'll do better. I'll study up on... You, you do this one. I'll study up on the next okay. one. So, Andrew, um, this one's called The Moving Finger. <laughs> this is a magic trick that my uncle keeps doing. Um, in, in The Moving Finger, uh, a murder takes place um, and a body is found after a recess in a court case. Um, and it is found, or it is, it is assumed that one of the jury must have committed the murder. And so the court case turns into not just a case about the original murder, but a case about 
the new murder that took place during the case. Uh, and uh, everyone's a suspect, and so uh, the, f- the finger gets moved between them. Uh, that's it's pointing very them out. meta, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a good idea for a story, isn't it? It's a good it? idea for a story, but it doesn't like sound like it could be criminally... You can't just combine criminal trials. <laughs> and just like, now, while we're trying this murder, let's try this other murder at the same time of this guy. Yeah, unless, like, unless the author was going for something Maybe. Maybe it's an unofficial trial. I don't know, that sounds like it could be true, do you think? Yeah, Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Agatha Christesque. So yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Andrew, do you want to read the... Uh, the actual story uh, is uh, poison pen letters arrived to various people accusing them of being lovers, of having children out of wetlock, of uh, using amyl nitrate, etc. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the letters prompts a suicide, an apparent suicide, and um, uh, it's revealed that all of the, the letters were written by a lawyer as a way to cover up his own... Uh, not his own murder, but a murder that he committed. Um... <laughs> Uh, so there, I've spoiled the ending for you. Yeah, which is what we're doing here, basically, spoiling endings. Yeah. Um, I like the fake story better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You should write that one. Yeah. Maybe I will. Yeah. Maybe I will. Brendan, let's have one more. Let's have um, Dumb Witness. Okay, Dumb Witness. This is a good one. Uh, so this is a Hercule Poirot mystery, and um, a man is found murdered in the dumb waiter in a hotel, the little box that they... Um, deliver uh, food and things in um, and he has a look of horror on his face um, and uh, there's a note stabbed and paled into his chest So, what do we think? Here's what I don't like about this one <laughs> If you like find your murder victim in say a refrigerator is the name of your book The Refrigerator Witness? <laughs> I don't think it is so if the, if the victim is in the dumb, dumb waiter, waiter, why is he called the dumb witness? Well, it tur- I mean, it turns out <laughs> that <laughs> he can't speak. Oh, I see. They find it out later. And he was a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> Thus making him dumb. Is that what you're saying? No, he was, sorry, no. He, he's a witness. So, just re- reading it. He's a, Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Right, is that what you're going for? This, I think this is starting to unravel. My detective skills tell me that maybe this is not a correct story. No, and in fact, you're right. Um, And in fact, the dumb witness referred to in that is a terrier, a dog, who clearly can't speak. Your dog, obviously. (laughs) Watson strikes again. Dumb Watson. Poor dumb Dumb Watson. Watson. Okay. If it was Um, Scooby-Doo, he could talk. He'd be like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or Lassie. They'd both be a lot more help than my dog. Mm. We've got one more. Uh, Andrew, can I ask you to tell us about the secret of chimneys? Oh, you can't. <laughs> There's a theme to the things I'm asking you about. Is is there? I don't. Uh, the secret of chimneys um, is about a uh, it's about a drifter. Uh, he rolls into town um, and uh, he. Uh, so people people like him when he's angry. <laughs> um, well, you know. It, it, it doesn't matter whether they do or not. Um, uh, and he's uh, he's looking for work, and he agrees to um, he d- uh, del- delivers a package to um, to some people. Um, and uh, but that actually involves him in a, a massive conspiracy uh, spanning the entirety of Europe. Um, and uh, it's it's got all of like a bunch of like political overtones and. Uh, uh, Scotland Yard gets involved, and um, uh, yeah. Can I ask chimneys. Where, yeah, can I ask where the chimneys come in? Like, um, chimneys. Uh, chimneys is the name of a <laughs> building um, that uh, that contains the the final clue. Right. It's just called chimneys. It's called chimneys. So, like, oh, why, what is going the- in chimneys. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it's owned by uh, Scott Chimney. What do your instincts tell you, uh, Detective uh, Keppel? I've got a hunch that this is a red herring. Yes, I similarly suspect that there is no building called Chimneys. (laughs) Uh, This is exactly the plot of the story. Yeah. Andrew's got it down. I I surrounded it with bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Chimneys is the great country estate that yields an amazing secret. Welcome to the golden era of detective fiction. Golden era. <laughs> Should have put more chime in that one. <laughs> okay, Erin, I'm hoping that that episode of Home and Away is done. And yeah, you've well, got to the phones. 
Well, no, there's, there's just these messages everywhere, and I just want you to come back to the agency because I can't keep up. There's something about like a secretive terrier and the conspiracy <laughs> across the entirety of Broadway and a, a dumb <laughs> finger, and I just I can't. And I'm finding it really hard. But but Seraphia Conan the Barbarians on 27, and the mother deductors are like only just ahead on 28. So please Ooh. just hurry up. Okay, and are you sure you're taking those scores down properly, Erin? You're not I, distracted? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you've got another round to practice okay. before we get to the crucial one. Okay, this round is called Crime and Punishment. Um, oh, God. In it, I will describe the opening sequence of a CSI Miami episode. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And then as um, Horatio Crane puts on his sunglasses, I will ask the panellists to guess what his pun is. If, like Jeff, we take groans to be a good thing, <laughs> I think I've just done it. Okay. Um, episode one from season one. It's called The Golden Parachute. A plane crashes in the swamps of Miami. Crane and his assistant are the first responders, and while phoning in for help, they spot a survivor. Uh, the assistant desperately tries to revive the person, but fails, berating himself because the man could have told us something. Horatio puts on his sunglasses and responds, and I'll have a ding because I haven't had enough dings yet. I can't solve this crime. I'm... Totally swamped. <laughs> yeah! 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 Uh, Piercing there, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't I know that. that. I got that. It's totally got yeah. I don't know that he would admit defeat that early on in the in the in the, in the problem. Anybody else? <laughs> Call the MTs and tell them to bring a crash cart. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Chief. He wasn't killed by me, but was he killed by you? <laughs> so in the episode, after being told that the survivor could possibly have told us something, Horatio responds by saying he didn't need to. Sunglasses on. We've got the whole story right here. <laughs> There's no pun there. If it falls into a library. Right, well, wait for the next one, Brendan. You will like this one. A man has been shot at a party and then impaled on an ice sculpture. The coroner says... (laughs) Shot. Oh, sorry, you finished. (laughs) Thank you. Shot in the light of day in a house filled with people. That's cold-blooded Horatio. Oh, damn it. And Horatio responds... Cold as ice. Well done. You got it. Oh, really? Wow. Those writers got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Did they also write Batman and Robin? <laughs> okay. okay um, I'm, the next one is from season three. It's episode number eight. I'm not going to tell oh, yeah, you the name of the episode one. because it is... Horatio's punchline. So you'll be both mm. naming the episode and giving the punchline at the same time. Mm. A guy is killed in an alleyway outside a speed dating club. Once the sheriff has explained to Horatio and the audience members who may not know what speed dating is, Horatio <laughs> responds... He must have had a latex allergy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Speed dating. Oh, Oh. looks like he ran out of time. (laughs) It's a great pun. (laughs) Looks like he was too late. (laughs) Uh, Those of you with glasses really have an advantage that, you know, the podcast people will not be able to see. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like he won't be putting out on the first date. (laughs) I I don't know. I think I'm going to give points to Andrew and Brendan there. It, the, you, neither of you got the real one, but I think yours were possibly better. Um, what Horatio actually said was, what he didn't know is sometimes, sunglasses on. Speed kills! Speed kills. Fuck, I was going to say that! God damn it! <laughs> was it an overdose? No, he is killed. Oh, sorry. At speed dating. 
Yeah, but I mean, if they'd, <laughs> wor- if they'd look at them, like, speed dating, and there's the phrase speed kill, whole extra layer if he'd been on speed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if the if the writers hadn't knocked off early, they could be like, yeah. yeah. If, but especially if he'd been eating dates laced with speed. <laughs> yes. Which, of course, we know contain, dates contain cyanide. Yeah. Okay, um, this is from season four, episode 24. Mm. It's called Rampage. In a dangerous gang prosecution, a gunfight breaks out in the courtroom. The perpetrator is stopped by Horatio Kane, um, and they then have a moment of recognition with each other. And the shooter says, points his gun at Horatio and says, You're dead already, brother. To which Horatio says, and there's no sunglasses because they're in a courtroom, but he pauses and says... You are out of order. <laughs> this whole courtroom is out of order. <laughs> oh, he didn't, but he could have. Uh, uh, well, you're in contempt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was definitely in contempt in that case. I think more along the lines of the gang element of this rather than the courtroom element. Uh, Which gang is it? Oh, oh, I know this one. Um, something <laughs> not chess. Not chess. Something in uh, not just muchas notches. Wow, looks like <laughs> looks like the gang's all here. <laughs> oh, like that one. That's good. Oh. Quit ganging up on me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's kind of admitting more defeat than I think you'd want to. Hey, you can't bring a gun into a courtroom. That's like one of the main rules. <laughs> <laughs> they all have guns. There's a lot of guns in the episode. Uh, what Horatio? Oh. What do you say we? Dance Gangnam style, <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they always do, were, and that's the entirety of the rest of the. They episode. always were really cutting edge with the pop culture references. Yeah. Uh, what, what Horatio actually says is, um, he we shoots him first, and then over standing over his body, says, "Join the club." Uh, did Horatio? shoot more people than any other crime scene investigator in the history of the department. Like, typically, I would have thought that, like, they're not around just blasting people down, but he seemed to go... In courtrooms. In courtrooms, or everywhere. <laughs> like, normally they have the fingerprint stuff. And not... Secretly Judge Dredd. Yeah, I think he might be. <laughs> OK, Erin, I'm going to check back in with you in case there's been any important messages well, this time. Yeah, I was I was sorting your files and I had them all on the floor and they're all in order. But then, like, some twins came in and said, "You got to give this to Laura. Tell her to meet us at the Reichenbach Falls with like a, bo- a box of amyl nitrate." <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. So so there's that. But um, apart from that, the the mother deductors are on thirty five and uh, oh, who are the oh, mm, Sir Arthur Conan the Barbarian, that's right. Mm. They're 38. Yeah, so, so, so they're in the lead. We can still do this, Brendan. Yeah, we can still win this from the lead. <laughs> <laughs> if we just get a few more points, or just slightly, even slightly less than them, we can still win this. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> good, good pep talk, Andrew. Okay. Oh, man. This is, um, this is the final round. It's the debate round. I've asked each... <laughs> Andrew told me before the show, this is my second beer. I'm sorry Look, for what my lightweight. <laughs> it's OK. Uh, this is the debate round. And oh, I have boy. asked um, each team of nerds to uh, pull together what they believe to be that ideal detective and sidekick pairing from, from pop culture or detectives that they may know of. Um, and so I'm going to ask each team to name their detectives and, and explain why that pairing would be successful at solving crimes. Then what I'm going to do is give them each an unsolved crime to, to try and solve. Mm-hmm. And um, they will have to explain their detective's process. And the audience will be evaluating who solves that crime best. Mm. So... I'm going to turn to the mother deductors because they are not frantically scribbling notes. They look calm, composed, and slightly squinty. Um, (laughs) And I'm going to ask them who their detective sidekick pairing is. Uh, Well, we'd like to go, Laura, for uh, Robert Langdon, Mm -hmm. uh, the symbologist from the Da Vinci Code, uh, and uh, excellent all-round investigator, and uh, another excellent all-round investigator, (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Right, and why do they make an ideal pairing? Well, there's a lot of good reasons. Uh, I think Robert Lenton's very analytical, he's very logical, 
Uh, but he's not a lot of fun, is he? <laughs> he's not a lot of fun. And do you know who is fun? Scooby-Doo. Yeah, a real complimentary character who can break out of that boring, hard-nosed, thinky stuff when he needs to. Right, OK. That's right. And, like, what the audience is like... When, when you're seeing is the audience you're watching, what's going on, and a lot of Rob, what Robert Lane is doing most of the time is just thinking back to a previous time in his life which seems unrelated but somehow applies to the situation <laughs> that he now finds himself in. That's basically what... But that's not very visually interesting of him recalling stuff. <laughs> so that's when you've got Scooby-Doo up to wacky antics being chased from hallway to hallway by the perpetrator. Right, which yeah. will help catch the perpetrator. That's right, yeah. that's okay. right. Brilliant. Good to know. So now we're going to go to Sir Arthur Conan, the barbarian, um, and ask them what their detective psychic pairing would be. Okay, well, well first of all, we need, uh, you know, like a, someone, someone who's going to put in the thought, uh, a philosopher. So we, we are going to choose Rust Cole, the uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey's uh, detective from True Detective. Um, because, yeah, he's um, freaky. He's got a healthy dose of the character flaws that detectives need to be successful. Yeah, he's got most of them. He does. Yeah. Um, and then to balance out the philosophical side, um, we're going to need somebody who's practical, who, you know, can get things done. Um, uh, you know, if you need a helping hand, um, they, can, they can lend a helping hand. And so um, teaming up with Russ Cole, we have Inspector Gadget. <laughs> um, the PA. <laughs> the pediatric character flaws abound on this it's, side. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing's been proven in a court of law, um, <laughs> and of course, uh, Inspector Gadget um, has all of the tools of every trade uh, at his disposal, um, which really, uh, you know, kind of kind of trumps every other uh, detective out there. Okay. Ultimately. So now what I'm going to do is ask each team how their detectives would go about solving a, a crime. Um, to the mother deductors, can you please tell me how Robert Langdon and Scooby-Doo would go about solving this crime? Uh, a ship is found floating. These are real unsolved crimes, incidentally. A ship is found floating in the Atlantic Ocean. It's fully provisioned. There's no signs of a struggle. But the lifeboat is missing and there is nobody on board. How do you proceed in your investigation? And what's your theory for this crime? Well, if it's fully provisioned, Scooby-Doo will be on there like a shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, as he is, he is obviously providing a lot of uh, wacky antics and visual interests, like just tearing into those provisions, as Langdon is probably studying very closely the label of the ship and the calligraphy that is used in writing out its name, which I believe is probably the Marie Celeste. You would be right there. And, and that's as, right up Scooby's alley. Already but, he's yeah. got a clue. He knows the name of the ship. <laughs> and as he's looking there, he notices a tiny detail in the etching and just as he holds it up to investigate it, uh, Scooby Drew trips over and like knocks it over the side and goes, <laughs> which does not help with the investigation, but it's pretty funny. I think you'll find. <laughs> So the investigation is lost well, no, at that point? That's, that's only a, that's a, that's a minor setback. And at that point, Langdon thinks back... It's important for the structure of the mystery as well. You have to have Scooby-Doo knock something overboard in the first act. That's yeah. right. Yep, that's right. So Langdon then thinks back to another time that he was on a boat. Uh, <laughs> back when he was a freshman at Yale or whatever he was. And he thinks about the, 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 the captain always writes in a log. He remembers that one time that he was on a boat and he saw the captain writing something in his log. So they go to the cabin, they find the captain's log, and it says, went for pleasure cruise, back at five past ten. <laughs> We're all out maybe sometime. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, OK, so the diary was the, it was the answer. the diary. <laughs> OK, very well. And once I found good. that out, then Scooby-Doo eats it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's 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 your process. We've seen a, a glimpse into that. So Arthur Conan and the Barbarian, um, mm. can you please tell me what how your detectives would go about if uh, what, what they would do um, if suddenly the bodies of prostitutes are being found scattered around the city with their throats cut and their abdomens mutilated? <laughs> and another very oh. famous unsolved crime. Scooby Doo doesn't want to borrow that. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> he doesn't want to borrow that. <laughs> Well, uh, Russ Cole uh, approaches these these crimes um, as he does all crimes in a philosophical manner. Um, he'll uh, he'll muse upon them and uh, try and try and work out what 
what could really bring a human being to do this sort of thing, or wh- whether this kind of violence is inherent in the very nature of man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is presumably like Victorian London. Yes. Um, yep. So the two of them will be riding uh, in a horse-drawn carriage, which will be built out of Inspector Gadget's own body. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as they as they ride just uh, along the streets, constantly, seemingly going nowhere, they'll mm. have lengthy yeah. philosophical discussions um, about about what is real and whether even it's worth living. And so maybe, if it's not, maybe they're, they're actually better off. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not solve um, the because, crime. And- um, uh, and, and Inspector Gadget, of course, um, uh, he opens up his own body regularly <laughs> to get at uh, various tools and um, uh, uh, implements. Um, and so he assumes that uh, these people were merely trying to get at their own tools here's and the, implements. Here's the dark, twisted truth that we discover at the end of this mystery, and Russ Cole is the only one who can see it. Mm. The true murderer is Inspector Gadget. <laughs> and as he, as he yeah. slays these women, he says, Go, go, Gadget, intestines. <laughs> In some kind of sick joke, uh, which only he gets because he's the only one alive and at the scene. Uh... And also, you did set us the Jack the Ripper movies, <laughs> yeah. Laura. Yeah. I know, okay. So, thank you. <laughs> it's very interesting to see a glimpse of, interesting to see a glimpse into your process. Um, I'm now going to mm. describe um, one last unsolved crime, and mm. I would like both detective pairings to put forward their own theory, and then I'm going to ask the audience to judge whose theory seems more plausible to them. Uh, this is the case of the dismembered feet. <laughs> <laughs> I did go for gruesome. Um, So since August 2007, so this is a recent thing, feet have been washing up on a beach near Vancouver in British Columbia. There have been five feet so far. They're um, completely divorced from the body, uh, which has never been discovered. So these five feet all come from different bodies um, that we've never found. They are all wearing running shoes. There have been four left feet and one right foot. What do you think happened? Mother deductors. Well... Can you think back to a time when... Firstly, yeah, we do think back to time. Um, we've got to deal with the PR problem, first of all, because probably the next foot is found when Scooby-Doo comes running up the beach with it in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, that's going to happen. So there's a little bit of a PR problem to get over right there. And then you saw, because they're like, Langdon probably has to call in Shaggy to help with this one, so there's like kind of a tug of war thing, like, not a Scooby Stack, Scooby. Uh, but then, yeah, obviously Langdon will start thinking back to times. Uh, <laughs> and he'll think back to times when he himself was uh, going running in running shoes. <laughs> yeah, he'd start thinking over the, the clues that are there. Like, we've got five feet, what were they, four? No, three left feet and two right? Four, four left, four one left right. And, and one right. So we've got five feet, that's one and two-third yards. Um, he knows a neighbourhood that has one and two-thirds yards in it. He knows that that house is somehow important because these are the kind of connections he makes. Yeah, he knows that there was an ancient Genovese secret society... <laughs> They used to measure everything in five, five foot long. So everything they did was five foot long. Their ceremonial sticks uh, were five foot long. And he takes the ceremonial stick uh, of the Genovese Secret Society, throws it and says to Scooby, fetch. <laughs> and Scooby goes, roll! And just... And his legs spin around yeah. and he's staying there and then he just shoots off after it. That's Brilliant. Right. OK, so we've got Secret Society. Yeah. yeah. And then the stick happens to land on the murderer. And Scooby brings them in because the number of revolutions is the same as the Genovese uh, Rosicrucians. Okay. So, audience, I hope you can hold all those really obscure details (laughs) (laughs) while we go to Sir Arthur Conan the Barbarian for their theory on this particular crime. All these feet missing, and what have they got left? (laughs) They don't have any dancing to do. No, no. You know, it's hard to tell wrong from right. When you've only got one right foot. <laughs> and you know, when you've only got one foot, you're just left endlessly walking in a circle. And isn't that, isn't that life in a way? Just one circle. You're walking in a circle, dragging a flat your feet. circle. <laughs> time. Time is a flat circle. And we're running out of time. And what creature runs in a flat circle better than a creature with four left feet and one right foot? 
That's right. It turns out that it's a uh, claw. The, the, the metal-handed villain from Inspector, Inspector Gadget. Gadget. Who is behind all crime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, now... Um, we, just... now we, we always see Claw from behind. We see his claw. Um, He's stroking what we don't see, What we don't see is uh, his, his lower half. Mm. We don't see his four left feet uh, and one right foot. He's um, cursed with uh, some kind of growth problem, so he keeps sprouting legs, <laughs> more legs than he wants, and he's cutting them off. So that's not really a crime. It's not a crime, it's just self-mutilation. Well, uh, it's, no, that's what you would think. It's, it's unsafe disposal of biological materials. <laughs> that's right, because you see, if, if, these, if these feet uh, got, got, uh, if got into the water supply, then everyone would start uh, sprouting extra, extra limbs. Um, and we couldn't have that because then we'd all be running in, in flat circles, um, both literally as well as metaphorically. Okay, so in the case of the dismembered feet, we have um, Robert Langdon and Scooby Doo uh, presenting their theory of a Genevan secret society. Genevanese. Genevanese secret society. And we have Rust Cole and Inspector Gadget presenting their theory of. Look, it's very simple. Claw is cutting off his own legs, which keep growing back, and polluting the water supply. Funny, it took a lot longer the first time you said that theory. Okay, Um, so audience, can I have, by show of applause, who you believe the winner to be? Is it the mother deductors with their genitals? Or is it Sir Arthur Conan the Barbarian with Claw the supervillain's feet? It's really hard to judge. I've lost all ability to kind of... Okay. Um, <laughs> you couldn't detect. What I couldn't detect. <laughs> um, given that it's an unsolved crime, um, I think both theories may hold equal weight at this Whoa, point. So unprecedented I'm, in nerd degree history. I am history. going to give a tie on that Whoa, particular part. No, what? Oh, have I broken a rule? No. One no, of the ten we've rules. We've just realised that we were ahead before we went into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can still win this question. So, Erin. Look it up, Andrew. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, Erin, but you might not be terribly necessary for this part. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's fine, Laura. I've been sitting under your nose the whole time. You were introduced to me early on the story. You couldn't follow my thoughts because there were no thoughts to follow. Uh, <laughs> I, I, in fact, ground up cassava chips at the beginning and put them all in all of your drinks. Oh and I set the amyl nitrate to Reichenbach Falls. So, <laughs> so, so there's no antidote. So in the, in the moments before your death, I thought you might like to know that Arthur Conan the Barbarian does win 43 to 40. Goodbye, Mother Deductors. Safe travels. Mm. Okay. Can we have a round of applause for them? Join us again sometime at nerddegree.com to listen to the podcast or on the first Wednesday of each month here at Orange Studios. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.